Welcome to Aging in Arizona, a show dedicated to educating listeners about current health care topics and local services. Now, here are your hosts, Presley Reader and Mark Young. Hello and welcome to Aging in Arizona, where we talk about the joys and some of the pesky challenges that come with growing older in this great state. So glad that you have joined us today, and I am excited because it's going to be another educational show about our new book, Aging in Arizona, Insights for the Elderly and Their Families. If you've been tuned in, you've heard us talking with uh, several of the authors in the book, and we went back to our 200-plus shows and chose the best contributors, the best topics, and had those guests write chapters in this book. And we uh, hope and believe it's a great resource for you and your loved ones. And today we've got a couple of fantastic guests with us. Ria Gokoloma is with Hospice of the West. We're going to be talking about Hospice with her. I love the title of her chapter, The Hospice Embrace. And then we're going to be talking with Dr. Kevin Hazelhorst. He's an MD and author of Wishes to Die For, and also author of uh, the chapter in our book, Chapter 13, Final Wishes, The Seven C's of Graceful Departures. And now, wait, 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 before you tune out or turn off the radio, these are important topics. They're difficult but they are so very valuable and they are a real gift to you and your families if you will stay focused with us and learn how you can discuss, plan for, and uh, then walk through what can be uh, really challenging but an amazing time in your lives. So, Mark, we, we got to keep them tuned in for these topics. We do. It is a reality. A lot of us don't like to face or discuss. We try to keep in denial. But uh, like you're saying, you know, it can be a, a good thing. It can be, uh, you know, something that's joyful. It could be something that, you know what, it could be a, uh, bring happiness. Absolutely. So. Sorry I didn't even introduce you, but I know our regular listeners know Mark Young, my co-host. And uh, you're doing well today, I imagine. Oh, I'm having a great day. So, And I, and I, and I, I truly enjoying going through this with the book. I mean, this has been a great experience. Uh, I think uh, last week I kind of mentioned too, you know, uh, eyes been open. I don't see a referral source like this out there. This this seems to be unique, bringing everything together, you know, from, uh, you know, the, the entire spectrum of aging. So uh, we are towards the, the ender chapters with these two, but I tell you what, I think it's going to be a great thing. But before we get too far too far into this, we, we'd like to know, Presley, how's mom and dad doing? <laughs> well, thanks for asking about my folks. I'm not going to talk too much about them because we need to get to our guests. Uh, they don't want to talk about this topic any more than anyone else does. Uh, death and dying is not something that everybody brings up around the dinner table. But mom and dad, I've told you once, I've told you a hundred times, we have got to talk about this. It is so very important. I want to help you, and I know you love me and want to help me, so stay tuned in. Yeah, pay attention, Mom and Dad Presley. So before we get into this, uh, we need to thank our show sponsor, and that's Comfort Care Home Care. Comfort Care provides the care you need in the best place of all, your home. Call Comfort Care at 602-438-1300 or visit the website www.comforcare.com to find out more about how one of the caregivers can help assist you and your loved one to continue to live safely and independently at home. Comfort Care is truly helping you live your best life possible. Great. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, Comfort Care. And a big thank you to Ria Gokoloma. Again, she's the administrator at Hospice of the West. And uh, your chapter is called The Hospice Embrace, Ria. And as I look at you and we're talking about hospice and you've got that lovely smile, you're 
you you love talking about this, even though it's a difficult topic. I do. I've seen through the course of my career and through personal experiences how beautiful having hospice can be for patients and families. And like you mentioned, Mark, how rewarding and joyful it can be and um, that it can provide a lot of relief. It was um, developed to provide those with terminal illness the opportunity to live their life to the fullest and to have their pain managed and their symptoms managed so that they can focus on the important things in their life with whatever time they have left. And is that what they get to do? Do you see them having that experience when they take advantage of hospice? I, that's our goal. Um, it's quite a journey. It's different for everyone. But what's special about the hospice Medicare benefit it, is it welcomes in this extension of um, another extension to the patient's family of other committed, dedicated professionals, which include nurses and counselors, such as social workers and bereavement professionals, chaplains, um, hospice aides, which are also known as certified nursing assistants. So you welcome this group of people who become an extension of that patient's family. And um, they help them through that journey. That journey can be very diverse, go up and down and left and right. But the ultimate goal is to help achieve um, a sense of fulfillment and joy for that patient before they leave this earth. Hmm. And go ahead, Mark. I was going to say, you did bring up that it's a Medicare benefit. And I know we've talked in the past, this is a underutilized benefit that a lot of people don't realize. I believe it is. Um, I think there is a lack of understanding on how the Medicare benefit works. And um, it's, it's patients should be speaking and families should be speaking on behalf of their loved ones to their primary care physicians to community social workers and finding more about the benefit and um, finding out if if someone does have a terminal diagnosis, if um, they meet eligibility requirements to take advantage of the Medicare benefit to receive these services, where um, as long as the disease takes its, its normal course, they're eligi- eligible to receive uh, services. So, you know, I can get into all the details of it, but I think that would be probably be a whole other conversation. I think the what I want to stress is that um, no, no matter what stage an individual is in, in their um, disease process, in their terminal, with their terminal diagnosis, is you have a, a very skilled group of professionals who can walk that journey with you and educate you on um, the disease process, the dying process, uh, working, helping work through personal affairs and legal matters and financial issues and community resources. So a lot comes up at the end of life. A lot of things tend to um, be triggered. And so um, that's why it's a holistic model of care because you have a group of people who can um, be the experts in taking up patient and family through all those unique matters and situations. Mm. 
I, I, I don't know if you can answer this quickly, but can you give me just kind of what would the difference be, the experience be with somebody that utilizes hospice benefit versus somebody that doesn't? Okay. Well, I can give a very quick and easy example of my grandfather who is on hospice. Um, and uh, he can live in his home that he has worked so hard to um, earn and to have. He can live in his own home with the hospice team coming to visit him, where my grandmother is always also there who has dementia. And he doesn't have to be going out into the hospital setting to his PCP's office. It, it minimizes that level of stress. And he can be home and enjoying the things that he needs, he, he, can, he has, and with his loved ones. And um, it's not as detrimental to him. So simply, that's one way that a person on hospice can have that support. Whereas someone else, similar to my grandfather's situation, um, might be spending their days getting going in and out of the ER, of the, their PCP's office. Actually, my husband's grandfather is in that situation in Hawaii. So very different situations. And so it's just a matter of meeting um, that those wishes. Now, what kind of um, emotional decision did your grandfather have to come to in order to take advantage of that hospice? Because that's a big step for people. It was a huge step. For my grandfather's journey, he really didn't have a choice at that point, but um, because he his health decline took a rapid turn after a car accident, and then they found then they diagnosed him with a mass to his right lung, and um, CHF. But once those diagnoses were given to him, um, it opened the door for us to have the conversation, and he was pretty quickly accepting, and that was a relief to our family. Um, that he was open to that discussion at that point in time. And so he was pretty quickly accepting of what? And I just want to push you on that because what do people have to accept in order to then take advantage of hospice? I always feel that there are two th- two things an individual has to accept with hospice and there's a mental there's emotional like mental component to accepting hospice and then there's that physical that medical component to it. And for my grandfather um Medically, he just, he didn't want to be in pain, and he didn't want to be in the hospital, and he wanted to show that he could get stronger, and he realized that hospice could help him become stronger, could help him um, get his symptoms managed so he could function the best that he could. So that was actually the biggest um, driver for my grandfather to accept hospice, was he would um, receive that consistent supportive care at home, and he could get stronger. So not a lot of people understand that, but that is the case. Hospice can do that very, very well because once your symptoms are managed, you do tend to, you know, a lot of our patients thrive. And the second piece was um, accepting it emotionally, mentally accepting it that um, this is, uh, you know, part of my end of life journey now. However, we clearly explain that should um, he get, stronger to a point where he's not declining, you know, to keep him eligible for the hospice, for the hospice benefit, that he could come off hospice service. And at some point, if 
it was more appropriate and he was eligible again and it was necessary, he could be reevaluated. So him understanding that he had that choice was so important to him. But at that moment in time, that is what his physicians in the hospital were seeing. And at that moment in time, hospice was right. And um, it was helping him go through the disease process one day at a time. Mm. Choice is something that we want to hold on to until the very end as, as individuals. We always want to have that option, that, that ability to choose and, and letting go of that is hard. But what you're saying is you're not letting go of it by choosing hospice. In some cases, you're giving yourself even more choices. And yes. we're going to talk more about that when we come back. Also, anytime something is underutilized, it's probably misunderstood. So I want to talk a little bit more about some of the myths, misconceptions, sure. misunderstanding around hospice. We're talking with Rhea Gokoloma from Hospice of the West. She's also the author of chapter 12 in our book, Aging in Arizona, which you can find at amazon.com. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Aging in Arizona, and thank you so much for tuning in today as we talk about two of the chapters from our new book. And if you haven't heard about the new book, it is called Aging in Arizona, Insights for the Elderly and Their Families. And we've chosen the most important topics for you and your loved ones to know about. And then we've gotten experts on those topics to write a chapter about them and a really great resource. We are excited about it and thrilled to have two of the uh, authors, as I said, here in studio today. And the first is Rhea Gokoloma from Hospice of the West. We're talking with her about hospice. And then we're going to have Dr. Kevin Hazelhorst talk about final wishes, the seven C's of graceful departures. And I know those are end of life topics that are difficult to walk into, but if you know us here on Aging in Arizona, we walk right into those topics because we know how important it is for you to walk right into them, talk about them, understand them, and then take action on them. So uh, really an important show today and uh, one that I'm privileged to be a part of, Mark. Well, we talk about being proactive, and this is one of those where, you know what, uh, when that day comes, you know, the more information you have, the more that you are set up, the, the better that event can be. Uh, I appreciate, Rhea, that you shared your story with your grandfather with us. And I, and I was, towards the end, you were talking about the discussions that you had, and you kind of talked about uh, using hospice, and then it be, then, you know, he could come back off. Um, I think that's probably something a lot of us aren't aware of, is that you can actually come back off hospice. Yes. And uh, we have patients who, depending on their medical journey, their eligibility, you know, can choose to seek aggressive treatment at, at some any point in time. It just depends on even what they're going through emotionally and what they feel that they may have not yet had a chance to to try. I think some patients in their, their journey just have to figure that out. So they want to try one more time to seek that aggressive treatment. And that's okay. And we support that um, because we know that if it's something they have to do, well, that's what we're here to help them through and to educate them and prepare them. So patients choose to do that, and then they choose to to come to ask to be evaluated again if they realize, you know, maybe I don't want to continue going through all those treatments. I don't want to be feeling this way. I don't want to spend my last few months or my last year um, 
seeking chemo and radiation. I want to be at home and I want to have my symptoms managed. So we go with them and be where they're at in that journey. Uh, Some of our patients just have some personal matters and legal affairs and family dynamics they want to resolve. And until they get through some of those things, they're not quite ready to enter that end of life phase and mentally they're not ready to do that so we've seen all kinds of um, situations that our patients go through and the one thing hospice is really good at is being okay with where the patient is at in that journey and guiding them through it well i think you even said something too in the in the sense of getting the care that they need by getting the medications they need and relieving some of that stress that some of them do get better uh, and I do want to say, I think it's around 15% yes. actually do graduate. And I love yes. the term graduate from hospice. And you know what? Don't need you right now, but maybe again next time. Right. Well, and this is one of those misunderstandings, getting back to the idea that folks are not utilizing the hospice benefit as much as they could or should be, uh, in our opinion. Uh, that's often a result of misunderstanding and not knowing that you can graduate. Uh, what are some of the other misunderstandings that may be preventing people from taking advantage? Uh, One common one is uh, patients and families thinking that hospice is a place. So we've had families ask us, well, does my mother have to be going somewhere that is not convenient for us to be with her? And hospice is um, not a place. It's a philosophy. And the care goes to wherever you are, wherever your loved one is, wherever you call home. That could be your private residence, an assisted living home, assisted living facility, skilled nursing facility. So hospice is wherever the patient considers home, wherever they're receiving care at that time. So that's a huge uh, misconception. People think they have to go somewhere. That's so that becomes a choice then, right? So if you if you want to cross the finish line in your home, that's an option. Yes. Um, but there probably are cases too where um, you know somebody might feel better fit in a more clinical uh, scenario. Absolutely, absolutely, and it can change during the course of the the hospice care that they're receiving. Um, and we help facilitate those transitions into a different environment if we need to as well. And again, talk about who we is. You've kind of listed the different folks on your team uh, a couple times, but who who's we? How do you work with these families? So our patients have a inter, an interdisciplinary team of um, hospice professionals assigned to their care, which again that includes a nurse case manager, um, a uh, social worker, a chaplain, or also called a spiritual care coordinator. Um, a hospice certified nursing assistant. Um, We also have bereavement counselors for pre-bereavement and after-death counseling. We have hospice volunteers who visit for extra socialization and emotional support. And um, we have our hospice physicians as well and our nurse practitioners. So it is a very comprehensive model of care. And um, we find that because there's so much that comes out at the end of life, it requires that diverse group of professionals to help a patient and family through all the dynamics that might come up. 
And, and Rhea, we've got a couple of minutes left in this segment. I want you to talk a little bit about Hospice of the West. There are a number of hospices out there. These are agencies, organizations that provide the benefits you're talking about. Each of them do it in a little bit different way. Tell us about yours, about Hospice of the West. Well, Hospice of the West has been around eight years, and we have a combined total of over 900 years of hospice experience when you put all of us together. From all our physicians all the way to our aides and volunteers, it's pretty amazing. I think what really sets us apart is that And if you ask any one of our employees and volunteers is we truly have a very family feel to our organization. However, we have high expectations of our um, service delivery as professionals. And our number one goal is to ensure that the patient and family comes first and that we are allowing patients to keep as much control over their um, care plans. So most often we talk about how patients are not no longer being asked what is it that you want for your care patients are typically waiting to be told what their care should look like and it's very important to hospice of the west that every single member of our interdisciplinary team ask that how do you want your end of life care to look at and tell us how we can help you achieve that Mm. and i think that's what's missing um, in some healthcare agencies, and we're really striving to bring it back to the roots and spirit of why hospice was even created. That's fantastic. We've got to take a quick break. Uh, your website is hospicewestaz, hospicewestaz.com. If you have more questions, I want to thank you, Rhea, so much for coming in and also for writing the chapter in the book. What you said there at the end about asking people what they want, helping them set their own goals leads us into our conversation with Dr. Kevin Hazelhorst, which we will be starting when we come back. He was the author of our chapter, Final Wishes, The Seven Seas of Graceful Departures. So you're going to want to hear that for sure. You're listening to Aging in Arizona on 960 The Patriot. Welcome back to Aging in Arizona. Thanks so much for being with us today. We are talking about some really important stuff, some difficult topics. We talked with Rhea Gokoloma from Hospice of the West about hospice and the hospice benefit in our first two segments. Now in the second half of the show, we want to talk with one of our favorite guests, Dr. Kevin Hazelhorst, who has been on the program before. He is the author of Chapter 13 in our book, Aging in Arizona. That chapter is called Final Wishes, The Seven Seas of Graceful Departures. Dr. Hazelhorst was an author before he was an author in our book, and he is the author of Wishes to Die For, which I would encourage you to take a look at on Amazon. And I want to ask Dr. Hazelhorst real quickly to tell us what's that book about real quickly, and then let's get into uh, these, uh, the Final Wishes chapter in, in our book. Well, my book, Wishes to Die For, all stem from the idea that people get their fear in front of their wishes. And I was trying to get people to recognize their fear. Some of it's so ingrained in our our being that you don't recognize it, but I keep seeing it show up. And this idea of you want to be proactive, you get what you want out of life, you you, uh, put your self-determination forth 
and and with your your wishes of being what you're committed to in life and what you want to get out, what you want to see uh, fulfilled in your life. I like that. You, you, it says advanced care directives. That's the uh, subtitle of your book, Wishes to Die For, A Caregiver's Guide to Advanced Care Directives. Now, these advanced care directives, that term is used in healthcare, but I like uh, self-determination a lot better. And the way you talk about it as a physician, I think, is really unique. How did you come to that? Why is this such a passion of Because yours? I'm a spiritual being, and we're all spiritual beings at heart. And if we're not getting our hearts in the game, we're missing, we're missing a, the, the other side of the, uh, our, our person. We have the human experience, and we have the spiritual aspect of ourself. The end of life is a spiritual journey. We use advanced directives to determine what our medical care is, but the end of life is not a medical conquest. It is a spiritual journey where, of letting go, and a lot of that process is through uh, much higher um, uh, uh, values that you, you carry, but they tend to become um, hidden in some respects because we don't, we don't put them forth, and, and, and people don't really... Um, w- kind of engage us on that level. They, they kind of talk about other medical aspects about the end of life and really destroy the better part of who we are as a, as a person. People, meaning the healthcare industry largely, who are interacting with you or just in general, we as a society? We call them patients at the end of life. And I, it's very concerning to me that we're not getting the terminology right as to how you perceive. It's all about the perception. We see something wrong about dying, but we need to change our perception about that for one thing. And as I, as I point out in the book, you know, uh, in the final, cha- final wishes, I really liked the opportunity to revisit my book from another aspect of final wishes. I threw out a lot of wishes in my book itself, but final wishes gave a whole different context to, to the end of life journey. And again, wishes are a matter of the heart, and they re- these usually don't get a lot of attention. And truth be known, my chapter's the last chapter. But in some respects, if, the per- if people read the book by reading the end first and then starting the book, you might take up that philosophy as well. Or maybe you read the book, and then you read my chapter, and then you reread the book, putting your wishes in the, in, in the forefront instead of them being something that you might pass over. Like you may not even read my chapter because you think you know your final wishes, but I can guarantee you, you do not know your final wishes. Mm, begin with the end in mind, uh, final wishes. This has really become the core of what you're trying to do as a physician and, and messaging this. And that there's two uh, groups that it feels like you're trying to talk to. There's the healthcare industry, as you said, there's the nomenclature and the language that you use in the industry, the way you talk to patients, as you call them, the way you interact, the treatment that you provide. But then there's also the patients themselves and uh, individuals who are reading the book or all individuals who are on this journey. How do you talk to each of those differently? And Well, here's the deal. You know, you can buy into the idea that the healthcare industry is the best. We, it's like the military. We have the best in, in, the, in, in the world. But it's still artificial wellness. When you talk about, and I strive for wellness in my life, I would never see a doctor just personally because I don't find that that's where I find my wellness. The doctors, typically, doctors are very intimidating. They want me to do things I don't want to do. I know, you know, I, I'm more 
because I have a knowledge base that I can kind of pick and choose what uh, what what I think is important. But I, I this sense of wellness is so much more important than than the sense of taking medicines and 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 living my life from that perspective. So wellness is kind of voodoo medicine. Mm. So when people say, "Oh, you're one of those," you're kind of like you don't buy into the system. You know, good luck with that. It's kind of like Steve Jobs in some respects. How did he? fair when he went he, outside the box the medical system mm, pursuing wellness self-determination and uh being a spiritual being at the end of life are all topics that dr kevin hazelhorse is a specialist in and he's written on in his own book and in the book aging in arizona we're going to talk about all those things in more detail when we come back you're listening to aging in arizona on 960 the patriot brought to you by comfort care Welcome back to Aging in Arizona. Thank you, thank you, thank you for being with us today as we talk about a couple of the chapters from our new book, Aging in Arizona, Insights for the Elderly and Their Families. Just to remind you, you can go to Amazon.com or you can go to our website, AgingInAZ.com, to find the book and get your own copy of it. And we are joined today by Dr. Kevin Hazelhorst. What a privilege to have him. He is an author of Chapter 13 in the book, but also is an author of his own book, Wishes to Die For, and some other guides that he's put out there. So I encourage you to look him up on Amazon as well. His book, Wishes to Die For, A Caregiver's Guide to Advanced Care Directives, is very, very important and a very valuable resource, as is, we hope, our book. So Dr. Hazelhorst, uh, your chapter is called The Seven Seas of Graceful Departures. What is graceful departures to you. Talk about that. Well, building upon what Rhea was talking about in terms of hospice, hospice is the Poseidon adventure. That's a very rocky course for people when they're uh, dealing with end-of-life issues, as she mentioned, the, a lot of emotional turmoil that, that occurs. The I, But again, with the Poseidon adventure, there's got to be a morning after. That morning after is glorious. You know, the sun comes out again and the, the, the flowers bloom. You know, there's just this really release of energy that is so wonder, glorious in, in many respects. And so the idea of graceful departures is to have your wishes stabilize that rocky course. You know, hospice is beneficial because they're steering the, the boat for you. When you're with caregivers and patients are basically in this boat together, to have hospice providers be steering the boat for you, evening out the waves. But of course, you have to have your wishes in order so that they can, so they're not telling you to turn right, turn left, turn right, turn left. That there's smoothness to the experience, that it's all very genteel in some respects. It doesn't have to be that hard, but we, we make it hard because part of it, again, is we don't have our wishes together. The best part of life is the end, is the end of life. It's the finale, and what I might call the dessert. And I would ask people, are you saving room for dessert? Are you filling up on all these other things and missing out on the best part of what's supposed to be very fulfilling to your whole experience and and, and perhaps a dining experience? Now, we know the hospital, 
I brought my hospital-sized Band-Aid box that has all these extraordinary selections and measures that people can choose from, you know, anywhere from cardiac resuscitation to uh, surgery that, that's not going to do any uh, benefit for the patient, ICU admissions, dialysis for the, for the elderly, uh, experimental chemotherapy, and antibiotics for septic shock when patients are, are from a nursing home. Some of this is just extraordinary. It, it may not be for somebody in, in the prime of their life, but at the end of life, we, we don't want to be filling up on different food selections that don't, aren't, aren't going to be really satisfying. We're really looking for what I would say the silver platter. What comes out at the end should look like it's on a silver platter. And so I, I put your final wishes on the silver platter. And these final wishes are these seven C words that I think are uh, listed in the chapter. And they give a context for people to sort of reflect on that, uh, you know, uh, the idea of being composure and competence and commitment, certainty, conformity, compassion, and comfort. Who doesn't want any of these things being served to them at the end of life? Comfort food, you know, you can imagine how delightful that is when you receive something on a silver platter and, and you have that extraordinary uh, sense of appreciation that you've been, been handed. So in the chapter, I'm handing people these wishes. I want you to, to indulge in them. I want you to uh, really uh, uh, understand that these are very helpful on, not only at the end of life, but in your medical decisions on a day-to-day -day basis, that you're, you're making certain choices that involve self-determination and self-control. For each of these, you have to have a certain amount of being proactive when you're, w if you want to be composed, you have to want to be composed. You can't let yourself go off the deep end and expect that you're going to get the results that, that you're looking to see. Same way with compassion. Conformity is always a challenging word, but conformity means that you're following through on what you're committed to. Many people don't get what they want at the end of life because they don't know how to conform to, to their commitments. They're, they're losing out in that sense of integrity that takes a certain amount of practice. I wrote a great blog that talked about the, the using your final wishes in regards to your medical dis, uh, decisions and then coming up with your final decision. So final and decision is very, very much like deal or no deal for each of the choices that you're being given. So the doctor waves some uh, pain medication at you. And you might say, doctor, I don't take pain medicine. You're Jehovah Witness. You don't do blood transfusions. You particularly don't like, you're allergic to every antibiotic. You don't care to be on another antibiotic. I think your, your self-determination allows you to make certain choices. And it really comes down to, are you staying in the hospital? Or are you not staying in the hospital? Where is your commitment here to yourself as, as both a human being and as a, you know, this, a, a survivor in some respects? You have to be committed, too, because I think, uh, and I know you've spoken to this issue before, others will step in and drive that boat. And I think a lot of people don't understand that. They maybe think that, that uh, we're all going to be on that boat. We're all headed towards dessert. But they don't realize that as you approach that, people are going to start serving you these things. 
and you're going to be forced to make the choice anyway. Better to make the choice ahead of time and then stick to the choices you made. Exactly. You don't want to be wishy-washy about your commitments. And you have to be very, and you have to accept that the fact that you're going to die. And keep reminding yourself, if you're willing, able, and ready to die, you have to practice these, these, this, this aspect of self-determination. It's not an easy uh, thing to just grab in the moment. This is an ongoing process in your relationships with the doctor because throughout your uh, medical experience, you're going to have to learn to say no to the doctor from certain times. Some people say, you know, I'm not going to get a colonoscopy anymore. I understand that. Yeah, that's your choice, and, and, and it's your right to, to make those decisions, and there shouldn't be any shame attached to you not following the doctor's advice. But like you say, doctors are very intimidating. They come in, and they're sort of like God. And if you go against God's word, you might be subjecting yourself to con- <laughs> risking your Judgment. salvation because mm-hmm. you haven't done what, uh, what, what, what's been asked of you. And the family members will step in and kind of coerce you as well. What the doctor says, you should do it. Well, then you should do it. But that's where the palliative nurse, and I think, uh, again, gives you that extra level of support that says, you know, it's kind of like your guardian angel that would allow you to say, think twice about these decisions that you're making. The doctor functions more as the devil's advocate. It tempts you to do more of these, you know, sort of um, uh, uh, treatments that you would never imagine yourself doing. And yet when when push comes to shove, most people acquiesce because they don't want to disappoint anybody. And they they still are coerced into doing things that don't don't make sense. Dr. Hazelhorst joins us today again. Dr. Kevin Hazelhorst is an emergency room physician. He has been in the room with folks. He talks with folks a lot about end-of-life decisions that they have or have not made in many cases. He's the author of Chapter 13 in our book, Aging in Arizona, and he's also the author of Wishes to Die For, which you can find at Amazon. And uh, Dr. Hazelhorst, you're in front of these people all the time. What, what do you tell an individual to do if the time has not yet come that it's too late? Oh, what, what, what practical steps do you I give, give them, them? Um, the opportunity to think from both sides of the stretcher. You know, you want to use both sides of your brain when you're putting, it's like integrative health would include not doing and also like the sense of wellness is typically I do it on my own kind of thing. I don't need the doctor to tell me what to do. And that's a, a very right-sided, creative sort of way of how. Look, for me personally, my back pain was always managed from a wellness standpoint. It was never surgery or, or medications. It was always my feeling into what what I can do to heal myself without the healthcare system that's going to offer me certain actually it could actually be detrimental to to my uh, my well-being. I have a much powerful well-being because of the choices that I made. And so, again, you have to sit between the wellness side and the medical side. And sometimes you need to um, to do what medicine has to offer, but sometimes you need to say no to that. Because the medical side is almost always what you're to do. They're going to keep doing things to you unless you tell them not to. Correct. Unless you have the power, the wherewithal to say no. And, and this idea of giving yourself permission to say no, that you're not going to get permission from anybody to end your life. You have to give yourself permission first. So I always talk about, you know, we're, we're the, the wishes are to tre- achieve everlasting, everlasting peace. Peace, you have to make peace with yourself first, make peace with your family, make peace with your doctor, make peace with your God, and then make peace with hospice. 
once you once you establish each of these um, this, this part of this journey, you're, you're completely okay. But if you've not established peace within yourself about the prospect of dying, you're never going to reach happily ever after. Mm. How does this apply to uh, our society as a whole? Is that too big of a question to ask? I mean, this this is a big challenge to overcome. And you related it uh, during one of our breaks to sex education, which I think is an important, uh, interesting well, comparison. I think there's an aspect of shame that we that we hold. And I think because of our, we, we're all guilt-ridden in many aspects. We're not good enough. We're not, you know, we're an exceptional country, but we're all imperfect people who, who struggle with trying to, to be exceptional in many respects. So we're always having to try to prove something. And this competitive society that we live in makes us always want to one-up. You know, we're always going for the next best thing or trying to, you know, survive, survival of the fittest kind of thing. There's no permission to say uh, enough already. No one really gets permission to be done. But we're also a violent culture. We we tend to abuse people when we should be more kind. And I really want to point out the fact that we used to, we used to. It was okay to beat up your wives. It was okay to beat up your children. And, and now we've wrapped our head around making more rules or guidelines that say we don't we don't allow that anymore. But at the end of life, it's still okay to beat up grandma. And I don't believe that that's who we are as a people in terms of culturally, I think we're better than that, but no one's pointed it out. And I'll make mention of George Bush. When he, you know, we had two ex- two examples of how you end your life. One week we saw a very beautiful example of a woman who chose to remain at home with her family and, and live the remainder of her time in, in personal fulfillment. Within one day, we turn around and we have another elderly gentleman with Parkinson's disease who's septic who gets admitted to the intensive care unit. That's wrong. But nobody said it was wrong. Nobody called it out. And if, you know, like these Amber Alerts and all this other stuff, we have a society that pays attention to certain things, but we're not giving enough attention to end of life. Hmm. And that's happening because both parties are in denial? Both the healthcare industry and the individuals. We accept this as being okay. Mm-hmm. That it's okay to beat up grandma. Yeah, and you're on a mission. Well, I don't say we. I don't. We have. I just tell them we don't have to rough her up. Mm. And they. They. How do they of, respond to that? They, they. They never thought of it that way. Really. And and <laughs> that I think that's my 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 claim to fame is you know I think about these things, and so as I think about them, I'm able to give voice to what doesn't make sense. And when you, when, when you say it in terms like people understand, like when a person comes in with a chronic illness and, and they've been through the rehab center and they're not getting any better, and I, I say, gosh, you're in a heap of trouble. And automatically they say, God, somebody finally recognized this, that I'm, that I'm being seen for who I am and not who they want me to be. And then we kind of look at, you know, where, what are your choices at this point? Is, does it make sense to be admitted to the hospital? Or does it make sense to maybe call hospice at this point? Or, or maybe you're not ready for hospice, but you just want the self-determination to say, I've had enough. Mm. The self-determination to make a graceful departure is what Dr. Kevin Hazelhorst is all about. Uh, well said, Dr. Hazelhorst. And thank you for championing this message. We don't need to beat up Grandma. Uh, is an important, I don't say it tongue-in-cheek, it is frightening 
how we treat the elderly in many cases uh, when it comes to this stage, and not just the elderly, but anybody who is about to make a departure. Uh, we want it to be graceful, and we thank you for your your efforts towards that. Again, this is chapter 13, our last chapter in the book, Aging in Arizona, but perhaps the first one you should read, and uh, an important conversation you need to have with yourself and your loved ones. Uh, go check out the book at Amazon.com. Look for Dr. Hazelhorst's book, Wishes to Die For, as well. And go to our website, agingandaz.com. Thanks so much. We'll see you next Sunday at 4 for Aging in Arizona, right here on 960 The Patriot. Have a great week, Presley. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, Dr. Hansen Horst.